Nick Jenkins, entrepreneur, investor, former dragon, is on the podcast today. And during this podcast, he's going to share with you some incredible insights in business growth, personal growth, and in how to invest in businesses. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Enjoy every minute. Well, look, you've started businesses, run businesses, yeah. built businesses, yeah. sold businesses. So let's go Let's go a bit of reflection on business growth. What are some of the, the reasons for failure in business? Well, I, th- I think the, the, probably the leading cause of failure in a business is running out of money, which seems obvious, but, but it, yeah. it, it's not taking action quickly enough, um, <clears throat> not recognizing the problems quickly enough, because um, time, is a, time is a real killer. If your business is running out of cash, you can solve that problem if you've got four months, five months, yeah. six months ahead of you. You can't solve it if you've got two months because nobody wants to know. Uh, <clears throat> and the mistake that a lot of people make, I think, is not recognizing the problems that they've got early enough and taking des- and being decisive about it. You know, if you if you need to get rid of people, you need to get rid of people quickly. Uh, and it's a horrible thing to do. Nobody likes doing yeah. it. But the sooner you do it, the sooner you can you can mend the what, business. What do you think stops general business owners actually seeing that in advance? Well, a lot of the time they kind of know it and feel it. They just don't want to recognise it. And, uh, Avoidance. Yeah. Bury yeah. your head in the sand. I mean, you know, that's 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 what people do. Have uh, you have you ever felt that? Yeah, I, th- I think there was a period um, in the first three years of Moonpig uh, where I was, uh, things were not going very well, but the business wasn't he- in a healthy enough state to, to go out and raise more money. And I was lending the company money. Um, and How much did you lend it? Oh, in the end, I think I probably, um, I think I lent about £400,000 to it. And, and during that time, there, there definitely there was a period of about a year where I was burying my head in the sand and I was just hoping for a miracle. Uh, and and uh, in in the end that happened. I mean, we, you know, we, we um, the miracle happened. Well, I mean, it, it was it, it, we we managed to work our way out of it. I just wonder whether I did it quickly enough. Um, and and so I you know I, I jettisoned all the unnecessary overheads that I got, and I tried to tweak. I tried to look at the business and think right, what what would what will save it? Um, yeah. And uh, it was about making the process more efficient, about making the website more efficient, about um, looking at the costs involved of uh, the cost of product. We looked at every every facet of the business and fine tuned it. But I, but I do wonder if I acted uh, as quickly as I could have done. Because you know the outcome, there's a glamorous outcome for everybody to see because you sold Moonpig, and, yeah. it's, and it's a tremendous yeah. success. It's a household sort of brand. Mm. Yeah, a lot. Most people know about Moonpig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think there's probably about five or six, five or six, maybe probably ten, as many as ten million customers now. Wow, ten uh, million. Ten, ten million. I think I, I don't know the latest stats. I haven't been in touch with them. But when but did you? There sell? were five million when I sold in two thousand and eleven. So that's 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 ten percent of the population. That's not bad. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. What do you attribute that success down to? Yeah, fundamentally, it's a good product. I think all businesses, um, ultimately, it's all about the product. It's a. It, 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 are you delivering a product to the customer that they want? And they're going to carry on buying, and of course, you've got to be able to do that in a way that makes you money. Yeah, you do. Now, you, you you've actually used the word efficiency three times mm. so far, and twice in quick succession. Once at the start as well. How important is efficiency when you, when you're building a business? Well, it, it's it's critical that you look at it and work out. Um, uh, particularly you know, if you're a manufacturing business, which Moonpig was, we manufactured our own yes, cars. You then you have to look at that process and work out how how efficiently can I how efficiently can I 
uh, can I pro- can I make these cards to, um, for more profit? Um, well, ultimately, but I mean, also efficiency, efficient, the customer doesn't suffer from that, from you making things, making things efficiently, that they still get a good card. But, but, uh, but, you look, you, but you look at the process and work out, right, how can we, how can we do it quicker? Um, how can we, how can we automate certain things? Um, how can we buy more efficiently? Um, and, and just, but every, if you, if, you have to look at a business and, and polish every facet of that business. Um, and if you change one one bit of a business by 1%, that's one thing. But if you change 10 bits of the business by 1%, that starts to add up. Uh, and usually it's not one thing that makes a business successful. It's it's looking after a lot of different things all at the same time. And cumulatively, um, that's what makes you successful. Yeah, a lot efficiency and foresight you mentioned, you know, being able to see in the future that um, if you... If you're running out of money in two months, it might be too late. If you if you can see that you're going to run out of money in five months, I think you said, you've probably got some time. Yeah, because if you're trying to raise money for a business, then anyone who is either lending or investing money in your business wants to see that you've got a bit of runway. They don't want to be, because if they see that you you're not going to that you're going to collapse at the end of the month, then they'll either say, well, they'll either look at it and think, well, I could pick you up out of administration in a month, um, <laughs> um, or. It just doesn't give them enough time to be able to solve the problems of the business. Is that right? So a potential investor looks at it like that. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll get it for free in a month. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, not, it, it, it's never free. Going into administration, but buying a business out of administration is never, is never free because when it goes into administration, there's always a, um, uh, there's a, there, there is a, a cost associated with yeah, that. And, 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 of course, you've still got to put money. But what it does mean is that the person who owned the business before no longer owns it. So I, I've seen that where... Um, and I, I've done it myself. I looked at a business they wanted to, 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 to raise money. It was called Wisgo. And they, they asked for money. And I looked at it and really, it was a basket case. They were asking too much money for it. Right. Um, and it was entirely unrealistic. But eventually, eventually they called me and said, actually, we're going to administration. And we rescued it out of administration. And that business was a bit of a disaster for me because I had to sell it on for less than I invested in it. But it, it, it carried on and survived. Um, and it got bought by Enterprise Cars in the end. But, but that was... Um, um, I looked and thought, well, we're never going to agree on the terms for, for rescuing this business, but you know, it, it just eventually just folded into administration. I like that phrase, the you know, the runway. Yeah. How much runway ideally should a business have, cash flow wise? I think you always need to make sure you've got six months, six months. I, I'm ideally a year of runway, but that's quite difficult when you're a startup. So um, overhead times yeah. twelve months. Well, what what I was what I always do is in the management accounts of every business that I'm involved in, I I like to insist that there's a page which is uh, which is the shutdown cost, because as a director of a business, you have a a legal responsibility to ensure yeah. that at any given point you could shut the business down uh, in an orderly manner without going into administration, um, and. So to do that, you've got to work out how much do you owe, but yeah. you've also got to work out what uh, what contracts do you have for your lease, what contracts, what yeah. employment contracts do you have, got what it, notice yeah. period. And when you add up the notice period of all of your employees, plus the the, the lease that yeah, you, any, yeah. any commitments the that rent. you've made in the future, yeah. and you say that's the amount of money that you need to have in the bank um, at the point at which you make a decision whether the business is viable or not. Um, so. Uh, where did you learn that? That shutdown cost one pager on the management account. Is that a month? Well, no, thing? I made that up. I mean, I, I made that up because because I've been in that situation where uh, where we, we we'd almost got to the end, and you think, well, hang on, we now owe three hundred thousand pounds. So if we 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 can't have an orderly shutdown uh, because no one's going to put in three hundred thousand pounds just to just to. to Would to, you get that one pager every month or every quarter? 
comes in with a management account, so every 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 month. And generally speaking, it doesn't change that much if the number of yeah, employees yeah. hasn't changed. But um, but it's it's a stark reminder that you don't. The problem isn't when you've got to zero. The problem is if you've got a business that's turning over. Let's say it's turning over two million. Yeah. You might need three or four hundred thousand pounds in the bank to decide actually. We need to shut this down. We need to pay off. We've got three months' notice to our staff. Um, we've got a, a lease to pay off. If we want to shut this down in an, order, in an orderly manner, that's how much money we need to have. Business owners very rarely think like that because the business owner or the entrepreneur will always think they'll always push it right to the very end. That's why businesses go and, into administration only only money. Would they owing money want to sell it rather than shut it down? Well, I mean, obviously you try you try you try to yeah. sell it, but there comes a point where you think this is, this isn't working. Yeah. And I I've had businesses in the past where where I've realised. It's just not a very good idea. Uh, there's not enough demand for it. It's not going to work. We just need to shut it down. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to sell it because it's not a good idea. And, and that's a hard thing to recognize as a founder, that your business is fundamentally not a good idea. So either you need to change to, do, to doing something else yeah. or just accept actually that particular idea. Just Let's just stop it. Uh, I want to look at finance. De- yeah. Making decisions on finance and making yeah. decisions on marketing. Let, yeah. let, let's go finance first. Yeah. Interesting question, this. In your opinion, what's the three biggest reasons for financial mistakes? Uh, financial Ill- illiteracy, actually. Right, so not uh, understanding the language. Uh, uh, the, the, one of the things that I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs is, oh, my accountant deals with that. Yeah. It's a fundamental mistake. You wouldn't drive a car without a dashboard. True. Right? Your dashboard tells you how fast you're going, how much money you've got, how much petrol you've got in the tank. It tells you a whole load of right. things. It tells you if, you're, if your tires are low, I mean, these days, amazing. Um, so, but you wouldn't get into a car with nothing in there, would you? Uh, you don't know how. Did fast you you're have going. to learn? Did you have to learn the financials? Yeah, early on. Yeah, but I paid an interest in it, and uh, and so I'm I'm quite a good management accountant now. Right. Um, but but I also I want those numbers to tell me something. I don't, the, those numbers that the, the accountant produces are not merely to work out how much tax I pay at the end of the year. I, it, there's a combination of the financial numbers, and then then there's also the non-financial metrics that you blend together. How many customers are we getting in? How much is it costing us to get customers? How long are those customers staying? What's our repeat rate? All of these things are things that need need to feed in every yeah. every month. You need to work out what's the key metric to drive your business. And I, I'm staggered sometimes at the number of businesses that just, particularly you yeah. know, the small ones, owner managed businesses that plow on that don't do management accounts. What was the key metric in driving Moonpig? Uh, it was the, the repeat rate, uh, repeat it, customer rate, repeat customer rate. Yeah, that it, was that was the one biggest number. Yeah, yeah. Because that, because that, because if in in a B to B to C business, you can sell something once. The most important thing is they come back and they buy it again. So it was a that was a marketing thing that you did then. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's all about. Um, and if I look at investing in a business, yeah. a, a consumer business now, uh, the the most important thing I look at is repeat business, because what it means is that is that if you can turn the marketing off. Yeah. And your sales still carry on. I mean, as a good example, we had a very difficult period in Moonpig where we'd run out of money. Um, but I could see, looking at the numbers, that our sales were growing without spending any money on marketing. And in fact, in one year, I think we spent nothing on marketing, and we grew by thirty percent. Yeah, nothing on outsourced or external or advertising. We didn't advertise. No advertising. But you, but you had a marketing team that you were paying. Nope. Not really. I mean, we really had jettisoned everything that wasn't bit that wasn't bothered about the point. You, that you was, just the marketing commu- team was communi- me. But communicating to existing customers. Oh, 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 so, so, so we had. So yes. So we had a. We had a. We look, well, the, the, you're, you're absolutely right. Now we spent money on looking after our existing customers. Right. We spent no money on customer acquisition. Right. Yeah, Interesting. Important distinction, actually. Yeah, but, but it is. I mean point. that that customer retention budget 
that's what that was your marketing budget that year yeah yeah that was it so we had we had we that was a person a person who really who did the email marketing that is an and, efficient business it, isn't yeah it? and it grew by 30 percent. And, and what that showed me was that um you know with a lot of b2c businesses if you turn off the marketing tab everything yep. slides um and so that was the thing that, that made me realize that you know no, we are going to survive we, we will we'll, we'll get through this we just need to keep covering the overheads until until that keeps growing really? but, but that was a really important lesson for lesson for me is that is that it doesn't matter how good the product is the repeat business tells you everything you need to know if customers are coming back and buying again and again and again and again um then you've got a good and every time you add a customer you're adding a layer of a, you know another what, layer of customers what, do you remember what your biggest the best strategy was for the, getting them to come back again good product just as simple as that. Quality product. I mean, we, we you can try all sorts of. Um, uh, the most important thing is get get the product right. Yeah. So nice printed card, high high gloss. It, it does. You know, we had great the great content. Yeah. Um, so it was a good quality product. It was reliable. So this, you know, the product is everything. It's it, it's about the speed. That is it reliable. Yeah. You order it, it arrives. That's the first thing. Is it good quality? Yes. There must and, have been another and, strategy on top. And of that. and the and the second thing is, you know, we had we had fantastic content. So we 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 had really good designs, and we allowed customers to be very creative about the yeah. way that they customize those designs. It was a great product. It still is a great product. Did, did was there any strategy or initiative that you that you did over and above that to get them coming back again? Well, we we looked at so customer services. We, we were great on customer services, and and I noticed now a lot of companies uh, think, oh, I could save some money by using AI and having some chat bot or something, and yeah. I can do without my customer service team. But you're also dehumanising it, and technology can do wonderful things with customer service. Yeah. If if and. Uh, if you use it to filter out and to make the process more efficient for the customer. So I don't mind if you're using AI to, to channel me down to a point where I can get my ass. But at the end of that, if you can't answer it, I want to speak to a human being. Yeah. And, and it annoys me when companies save money by going half the way with technology, but leaving you with a frustrating process. We were absolutely on it with customer service in, the, in those early years. If someone called, bang. Well, what, what they want is they want to know that you've listened, that you've, one, that you've invested the time and resources to be able to actually answer the phone quickly. Yeah. So I, I, I can't. Nothing I better than that. Uh, nothing nothing worse when someone says, we value your time. No, you don't. If you haven't spent enough money on people to answer the phone, you do not value my time. If you're going to keep me waiting for 45 minutes um, on uh, listening to Muzak, um, you're not valuing my time. My time is... It is it, you know, I, I, uh, someone at um, an event, that, uh, someone was presenting an event in Manchester and he gave this uh, example of the Disney experience versus the Sky TV experience yeah. and got Disney and, and literally was on the phone like within 30 seconds yeah. speaking to someone at yeah. Disney and, and there was such a warm welcome and yeah. how's your day being and, and Absolutely. solving every, every kind of challenge, question in the moment in a really sort of positive inspirational way that you'd expect disney and the opposite with uh, and ironically no no customer notices when you get the service right but if you make a mistake and you correct it well yeah. <laughs> they will be a much much more loyal um customer than ever right. before. and partly because of course in most day and this works for online you never actually have an interaction with the company uh, online you, you go online you order it it arrives that's it that makes sense uh, whereas Whereas every time you get a complaint, that's actually an opportunity to speak to a, a real live customer. And and we, we once you've won them over, the first thing is they want to hear, sorry, um, I'm really sorry that we've messed that up. Secondly, how can we solve it? Solve the problem and, and then have and then have a chat with them. And then once they're, 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 then they're happy. The longer you wait, 
for them to, but before you answer the phone, the more angry they're getting, the more you keep them waiting. <laughs> it's for, a graph, isn't it? There really is. I mean, I find yeah. I get exasperated by this. Um, what I find is that is that we have all this amazing technology at our, at our fingertips, and that can help you answer things much quicker. It can help you think answer things mm. 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Marvellous. So you can nail it down and say, actually, no, you've told me what the answer is because you've got a really good system. This problem's cropped up before. There's the answer. Thank. Didn't need to speak to anybody. But sometimes I need to speak to somebody. And, and for that, there needs to be somebody at the end of the line. So I think in those early days, looking after the customers and really nurturing them, and if they if they contact you for any reason, embrace them thoroughly. Um, so it was the product and the service um, that made the difference. And that, that meant that we had customers that were constantly coming back. We knew that our customers were coming back um, six times a year. Yeah. And... And very, and after the initial, you know, you recruit 100 customers, 40 of them won't come back because they tried it once, it's just not quite yeah. for them. But of those 60, we'd probably have about 90% of those the next year. And then you can start to plan ahead and you're adding, it's like adding, you know, layers upon layers of customers. So so every, every year you're adding another layer of customers, which will, most of whom will still be with you in five years' time. You know, so, you know, there are customers, Moonpig's had customers now for 20 years. Wow. Um well, because that's when we no twenty three years now. That's loyalty. Years. Yeah, a serious loyalty. Yeah, uh, look, all that came out of one of the first biggest financial mistake, which was financial lit- literacy. What's the second biggest financial mistake? Uh, not 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 acting in time. Um, so it, it's it's not knowing that you've got a um, that you've got a financial shortfall and just not acting quickly enough. It takes a long time. The lead time for raising money borrowing money is is months yeah um and when you've got time on your hands you can do it in an orderly manner and it looks like you haven't got a problem if if someone can look at your books and they think you're going to get bust in yeah. a month's time nobody nobody will talk to you it's that speed of decision making yeah yeah and i i think one of the one of the most important characteristics of any entrepreneur is the ability to take a decision with imperfect information Lots of people. <laughs> that is a really good point. Well, it, it, when I when I before I started my business, I did an MBA, and uh, and I noticed there were lots of people on the course who were far brighter than than me, um, and they could come up with a beautiful PowerPoint presentation, giving six different options and explaining the pros and cons, but not all of them would be able to say, "Let's go with A." Now, do it because it's about the number of decisions that you can make and making sure that more than half of those decisions are correct. A business doesn't move forward if you don't make decisions. And, and that, that's, that's about mental courage. You know, physical courage is standing on top of a 10-metre diving board and, and being able to take that leap. And mental courage is, is deciding to invest £100,000 in a new bit of equipment or hiring a new person who's quite expensive. Um, I love it. Uh, the ability to make a decision with imperfect information. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges for an entrepreneur. I'm going to I'm going to give you two quotes, statements if you like that yeah. I've heard from some greats. I want your opinion on them. Um one was uh it was in an interview like this with uh an NLP practitioner. Mm. Um for decades, really really strong on on mindset and decision making. And she said make decisions in the morning because you get fatigued. The brain gets fatigued. Any important decisions you make in the morning, otherwise they won't be good in the afternoon. What's your opinion on that? I'd never thought of it, but I think that's probably true. Yeah. It, it, you make lazy decisions when you're tired. You think, oh, whatever. 
whatever. Well, you, you can avoid um, things as well. You can yeah. put it off and procrastination yeah. can cre creep in. All right, so that's, that's yeah, one I'd thing. agree with that. And this this one, Stephen Bartlett, yeah. um, he he spoke, at, uh, we interviewed him at our conference. And, yeah. And uh, I'd never heard this before, but he proposed the reverse decision. He says most things are reverse, reverse decisions, which means this. You make the decision, but you can back out of it without with minimal consequence afterwards. And because most re decisions are reverse decisions, just make it. <laughs> just make the decision if it's a reverse. If you know you can back out of it later on. And the very next day, this happened to me. I'd seen an example where someone was, someone I know was going to buy a classic car. Hmm. And they're pondering, should I do it? Should I not do it? And they waited and waited. And, and they didn't buy it, but someone else bought it. And then this, if they'd have bought it, the car would have still been worth the same amount. They could have sold it anyway. There was a re it, that was yeah. an example of a reverse decision, but yeah. they'd lost the opportunity because someone else had bought it. No, that's, that's 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 very true. There are lots of things where you think actually you could do this because what's the worst case scenario? Um, it's a good it, question, that isn't it? It's it, it's 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 a very good it's a good way to look at decisions. Is this a is this a do or die decision? Because some decisions are unfortunately some yeah. decisions are. If we take the step. And it goes wrong. We may not recover from it. Um, um, Which means you've got to be more objective about making that decision. Yeah, there's more analysis yeah. and information that you that, that you want to go and gather before making it. Yeah, yeah. But decisions are like steps. Um, uh, your business to move forward. Your business has to take a decision. And if, if you don't take any decisions, you just stay in the same place. Well, actually, eventually, of course, you just go bust. But um, uh, what were some of the best decisions that you've ever made? I think the best decision, the best decision I made in Moonbig was the decision to start advertising on television. Um, that, when was that, that? That was a pivotal point in the history. How, of the how did that decision come about? Well, it, it came about because I'd, um, when you don't have much money, and we didn't have much money, we, although we raised, I think, two point seven million over time, there was never a point at which there was actually any real money in the account because it was right. just like dropping things into a well. You know, you'd hear it hit the bottom. Was that scary? Um, and. Uh, so we never really had a huge amount of money. So we were very analytical about marketing. Um, so we would, what we did, we looked at every possible channel for marketing and we spent as little money as we possibly could to work out what the cost of customer acquisition was through that channel. Um, and once we got that, we were then confronted with a range of different um, uh, marketing channels and we'd pick off the lowest hanging fruit. So we'd pick up the lowest cost and then we'd keep spending money on that until eventually that got, yeah. um, we, that, we, we, we we would throw money at it until and as long as long as the, the, the our, our goal was to spend as much on a customer as we would get back in two months um, in gross margin. Right. right. So that was our, where, that was where, our metric. You, how did you calculate the two months? Well, because we knew we we, we have you know we had a lot of customers, yep. a lot of customers buying with very small orders, but that gave us a huge amount of data. So we understood exactly what a typical customer would if we recruited a hundred customers, we knew exactly what that meant in terms of cash flow for the next twelve months. Uh, and with plus or minus 5%, so we could project that forward. So we knew that if we recruited a customer, they were likely to behave like that. Um, and so we could we, we could go beyond, you know, a very simple way of doing it is saying, if on my first order, I make a gross margin of £10, yeah. uh, then I can afford to spend probably up to eight, nine pounds to recruit that customer. So as long as I'm making it, a con, I've got to be making a contribution to yeah. overhead. And if you don't know, how your customers are going to behave over time, or if you sell mattresses and people come back after seven years, you need to make sure that you're making enough gross margin yeah. on that sale to cover your marketing costs and to make a contribution yeah. to overhead. You should always be making a contribution to overhead. 
the business, I think, the, the mistake a lot of businesses made in the last few years is when there's a lot of cheap money around uh, that goes into companies is they say they growth at any cost and they're spending £2,000 to recruit a customer on which they make £1,000 gross margin and then that customer doesn't come back. Uh, then yeah. you're just getting growth. You're just... You're getting, you, you know, you're growing like that, and your yeah. losses are going like that. So, 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 my rule of thumb was: we've got to be able to see when we're going to make a profit on a on a customer that we recruit, and be very confident of that. Um, and so, you could say it's a one, you could say it's immediate payback, two month payback, three month payback, four month payback. Um, and so, we worked out that we could spend ten pounds to acquire a customer, and so we'd pick off any marketing channel that was resulting in around about £10 a customer. And another mistake I think a lot of businesses make is they say, my marketing budget is this. It's £100,000 or £200,000. And I would say to them, no, what you've got to work out is what can you afford to spend to acquire a customer and keep throwing money at that. Because if you're, that money, if that money's yeah. coming back, keep throwing money at that yeah. until the cost of customer acquisition rises. Then you don't know how much you're going to spend on marketing, but you know that, you're, you know that every penny you spend on marketing, you're getting back and some. No. Uh, you, you, right at the start of that, you said you, bec- you, you were very analytical about marketing. Yeah. You do strike me as an analytical person. Is that- Quite mathematical. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of entrepreneurs are not analytical. No. And, you know, like the language that you said for financials, you've got to, you've got to learn the language, the literacy. Yeah. yeah. You, you've probably got to learn to become analytical about your marketing. Well, as well. well I, I actually, I think it's it's easier. My strategy in the end was it's easier to teach a mathematician how to be a marketing person than to teach a marketing person how to be a mathematician. Wow, <clears throat> what a lesson that is! Yeah, I, because the the fluffy stuff, you know, the the, the fluffy yeah. branding and so on, it's, it's all it's all lovely. But actually, it, it it does come down to numbers. In all of the other businesses that you've invested in. Is, has that been true? You know, the, the mathematician, the, the person with the a- analytical nature, it was easier for them to become a marketer. Well, if you're, if you're, looking, at, if you're looking at digital marketing in particular, if you're looking at, at broadcast marketing, social media and so on, the, the, the analytics are really important. Now, you also have to have the creative side. You've got to have this yeah. for the person who's, come, who, who, who's coming up with the clever, clever strap lines on, on adverts and designing that and so on. Um, but unless you're analysing it properly, hmm. you're just scattering money left, right do and centre. Do you think most marketing directors are more strategic and analytical than creative? Oh, the, the good ones are. Um, the good ones are okay. Um, Sorry if we've it, offended anyone there. Probably, but but, but and, uh, I mean, you don't have to be. Even if you're not, even not, you're not brilliant on it, you've got to understand how important it is that that you're measuring what you do, um, and you're measuring the right things, and that you're measuring them properly. Look, numbers-based based, based decisions. Yeah. Unlimited marketing budget is what the goal is. We want to be. If, if as long as you can keep that cost of acquisition below a certain threshold, you can keep investing in. Yeah. So to give you an example, when we started television advertising, um, uh, that that's a channel where you can throw a lot of money um, at it. How much yeah. did you throw at it? Well, so so the first advert we did, uh, we spent I think fifty thousand pounds on the media. We spent thirty thousand pounds making the first advert, which is where the Moonpig jingle came in. Making it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for thirty thousand pounds was the creative, and then we spent fifty thousand pounds on the media, and. Uh, so, and then we got about 5,000 customers out of that. Uh, so that's about £10 a customer. And, and so we took that money, and, and as the money came back, thank you very much. So the next month, we spent £100,000, and we got about £9 a customer. And then the next month after that, we spent £200,000. And we eventually got up to spending uh, about £1.2 million a month on TV advertising within within eight months. So we'd gone from, we'd gone from a marketing budget of, of probably... 
Uh, we're probably spending £300,000 a year on marketing to spending £10 million a year on marketing. Um, but the business went from a turnover of, of £3 million to £45 million, uh, in three years. And, uh, and and that was all driven by driven by TV. What changes did that have on you personally as it went from £3 million to £45 um, oh, I was very happy. <laughs> it was it it's it, uh, no, it worked. It was a plan that came together and it worked. And it was a, it was a joyous time in the company because every single week we had a new record that we'd done, and it was and the the atmosphere in the Did company you? was fantastic. Everybody was. We had this chart on the wall. Hey, you know, new record sales and so on. Um, it was uh, it was it was it was probably the most enjoyable period that we had in in, in Moonpig. Was this stratospheric rise um, in sales. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm imagining being there as one of your team members and the the numbers being on the wall and that in, that celebration in the moment there, it just created an amazing vibe in a team. Well, it, it? it does. I mean, we'd had five years of struggling and not knowing if we were going to make it, um, and to to some extent that does also bring its own. Did your employees know that as well, or did he, did you yeah. know that? Uh, well, I knew it more than everybody else, but right. I mean, they also knew that it was it was it was difficult and tricky, and we of course we had to make cuts. Um, but there is also an element, as far as the team goes, there's an element of we're all fighting um, for the common cause um, and um, working incredibly hard to make this to make this work. So it, that that adversity sometimes brings a team together as well. Yeah. Um, well, he said that with a customer as well. Patrick Lencioni is a he's like a professor and not professor, but he's um, like a mover and shaker in the yeah. executive coaching world, and uh, he. He's got this thing about conflict. It's like when there's conflict in the team and let's say there's conflict between me and you, when we repair that and we get over it and we solve it together, actually our bond comes even stronger. And you mm. said that about customer service. Mm. When a customer complains and, and you solve it for them, actually you develop the relationship. Yeah, very true. So, and you're saying... A little bit that happened in your team dynamics. It's, we've, we've struggled, and now we're now we're going on. Well, we had an external threat, which was annihilation. Um, so, so we all came together around that. Interestingly, when we were very successful later on, uh, it's harder to maintain that sense of mm. we're all in this together um, um, because because it's 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 become quite easy. You know, we're, we're a successful, profitable company. You hire people who came into a successful, profitable yeah. company. Um, so it's 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 Is almost it possible to. To keep that vibe as a as a business grows, that we're all in this together. It's close knit team. It's a relationship depth. Of rela- Is it possible to scale up to a point and and keep some of that culture? It's it's tough. It's very tough, particularly um, you know, particularly when the company's successful is making money and the money is going to the to the owners. Um, and you've got to make sure that you've got to make sure that everybody feels the joy um, yeah. all the way through. And you can do that with share option schemes. You <laughs> can do it with ventures and so on. Feels the joy. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, 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 they've all got to be delighted, thinking we're all you know we're all in this and we're sharing some of the the the, the, um, the benefits together. But it is it is more difficult as you get bigger. You also got more layers um, into in, in a company. So. Um, it's harder to get a company culture. The more layers you have in a company, the harder it is to 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 maintain that culture. Let's go. The, let's go the other side. What are some of the the biggest marketing mistakes that you've made? Um, <laughs> I could There's say not many. I could, oh, I could, oh, well, of course, probably probably not doing some of those things earlier. But right. but 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 in the, in the end, I mean, I think. 
Um, I was very, very focused on the fact the first the first thing is the product. So uh, the most important part of the marketing strategy is make sure you're selling the right thing in the first that, place. That people want. Yeah, yeah. So make sure some uh, secondly, make sure you can make enough money out of it. So price is a very important part of marketing. Um how how do you separate yourself on price? How do you not compete with others on price? Um well, I mean, when we first started, of course, we were the only people doing what we were doing. And part of my rationale when I set the business up was that I wanted to sell something that couldn't be compared to other things. So if I had set up a, a company that sold it's digital nice. cameras, then somebody would have had an algorithm that, that said your digital camera is this much, their digital camera is this, and it would have squeezed all the, the margin out of it. Whereas you couldn't compare a Moonpig car with anything else because we were the only people for five years. We were the only people really offering it. And certainly offering it, there were other little competitors that tried, um, but but for a long time we were really the only company that that did it well. Um, right. So the question you'd ask yourself: Do I do I want to turn up at a party with a really well personalised Moonpig card, which is good? Everyone's going, oh, fantastic! Stick it on the fridge, you know, full three quid, um, uh, or do I just turn up with an ordinary card for two quid? Well, no. Well, the difference of you know, you can justify that 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 difference is very easily justified. It's just a much much better product. So. Um, but it, it, funny enough, when I first started the business, at the very beginning, it was £1.99 for a card, and I'd fixed it at £1.99. And we were struggling and, and losing money. And one of my non-exec directors, David Noble, said, uh, um, why don't you just put the price up? And I, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd got transfixed on the idea that we wanted to sell a card as the sa- for the same price as in the shop, but it's a better card. And uh, and then I listened to that. I thought, well, if we put it up to two ninety nine, one of two things will happen: either everybody will go away and we'll go bust, um, uh, or, or or it'll be okay. But if we don't do anything, we're going to go bust. So so we put it up to two pounds ninety nine. Nobody noticed. I mean, no, nobody nobody. But one one customer wrote in and said, I think it's outrageous that you put the price <laughs> up. I'm still going to buy them, but I just think it's outrageous. And and that was it. That was the only reaction. And, and the volume, the, there's no difference in volume whatsoever. But the fear, but, the but fear the, of doing it was worse than the that, reality. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and what's interesting is that the amount of gross margin that we made after that was, you know, that the, the although we only put the price up by 33 percent, we increased the gross margin by 100 uh, percent. So the difference it made to the business was was huge. So pricing is a really, really important part of, of marketing. But a lot of people think of marketing as advertising. That's only just one part of, of, of marketing. Make sure you've got the right product. Make sure you get the price right. People often undersell. They just don't charge enough yeah. for what they're doing. And and then they wonder why they're losing money. Uh, or they're... Do you know, I was, I was at a family wedding and we I was having a conversation with my cousin, Lee, and uh, we we were talking about something and... and he shared this thing on pricing and he said, I decided to triple my prices. Mm. Triple my prices mm. in architect. I lost half my customers overnight. Yeah. But he's gained already there. Yeah. And now I exclusively sell to billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 and that's, it, it's there are a lot of... But now, lot, you, now you're a niche of one and that's what you're saying. That's what you were saying. Yeah. There. You get a product that's different it can't be compared yeah. to anyone else that's what you said well that's that's actually quite hard to do of course because there are very few uh, i mean i was lucky that i started a business at the time that the internet was starting so there, there was room to create new new products but yeah. but it's got to it's got to stand it's got to stand out there's got to be a reason you've got to be able to justify your price um uh but so the first thing is you've got to say do, do people want what i want uh, what i've got 
Um, and if not, let's, how can I tweak it to make sure they do? And, and constantly looking at the product, thinking, is this what our customers want? Is this what our customers mm. want? Um, and then the then the other thing is uh, is looking at the price. I mean, good, on the product side, actually, when I first started, it was all about humor. It was all humorous cards because those are the kind of cards that I bought. Yeah. And I brought on uh, an investor, Duncan Spence, who was a veteran of the greeting card industry. And he said, you need to be selling other types of cards, you know, even the fluffy bear type cards. I'm going to grow. But he's absolutely right, because I was only addressing a third of the market because a lot of people yeah. don't buy humorous cards. So we added all those other ranges and suddenly, you know, the sales went up. Um, and so we were just addressing a bigger part of the market. So then we addressed that we addressed the, the the price side of it. Then the promotion bit, you know, that's how you what are the channels that you're uh, making sure you're covering yeah. all the various channels. And if you know, if you've identified all the channels you can possibly uh, acquire customers through and you understand exactly how much each of those would cost you per customer, and then you're constantly tweaking that. And then the second thing is look after your customers. Uh, not the second thing, that's the fourth thing. Look after, you know, look after the customers and hang on to them. Um, um, so when you get all those things, all those factors, right, that's a, that's a good marketing strategy. What, what are some of the secrets of looking after and hanging on to the customers? Well, we talked about that earlier. I mean, one, answer the phone on time yeah. um, and, and solve their problems. Um, no say sorry, solve their problems. Just I mean, just, quickly just, just, the just, just quickly. Or, or solve the problem, you know, respond to them in some way. I don't mind if a company, if I put, if I say, say this is my problem and bang, some AI thing comes back with the answer. So by the way, if you try this, go to settings, blah, 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 blah. If they've solved my problem, I don't need to speak to a human being. I just want you to solve my problem. Um, and, I, and then I want and to understand. Quickly. I also want to understand that you've, you, you value my time enough to invest the time and resources into building uh, in a, 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 a customer service tool that's going to solve my problem. At, at, at no, you know, without me keeping me on the phone for 45 minutes. So, so, I, so you know, it's, this, it, it's about the thought that goes into it. And thinking, right, okay, this customer values my time. This company values my time. And they have managed to solve my problem. Um, that's what I like about, you know, that's what good customer service I'm, I'm, is. I'm relating to what you're saying. I mean, I went out with my wife the other week and we went shopping and we we, we went in a shop and we, we bought some stuff. And, and later on, I'd seen in the bank, they charged us twice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was quite a lot of money. So I phoned them up and got straight through to them. This is a huge business, you know, of mm. a designer clothing shop. And I got straight through to them and they were like, oh, really sorry. We're really sorry. Let me get this solved. Within literally two minutes, the person was look. That's uh, that's dealt with straight away. Um, what's your email address? I'm gonna I'm gonna send you, and they give me they give me quite a lot of money actually yeah. to go and spend in in the shop again. Yeah. So I was delighted. I was glad we t- took it yeah. twice, really. Uh, and actually, that that's an interesting tool. When you say, "Look, really sorry, I've uh, given you money back, uh, refunded that," and actually, look, here's here's a, here's a here's a voucher to spend the next yeah, time. Yeah. That gives you an incentive to go back into the shop. And so we would always say, "Really, really sorry." Like, and we've added we've added uh, two pounds of credit to your uh, uh, you know enough for yeah. for, 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 for another cash. So they're definitely going to come back and spend that. Um, and by that point, you've got them back and they're, yeah. they're back on track. So it's um um. Uh, yeah, so so looking looking after the looking after the customer, it's much easier and much less expensive to look after to retain a customer than it is to have to get. Is the customer service technically part of marketing department? Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. It's 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 very much. There's all these pillars of marketing. <clears throat> you know, the product, the price, um, customer acquisition, and customer retention are all that that that's it's uh, just, it's a holistic thing, and, and it needs somebody at the top of that to 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 understand how all those bits work together. Um, Absolute genius. I mean, look, it's it's a blinding flash of the obvious that marketing is connected with customer service. Something else you said in there is 
It's easier to make a mathematician. Yeah. A marketer. Yeah. Than it is making a marketer a mathematician. That's a blinding flash of the obvious as well. I mean, some people are just, you know, just not numerate. They just don't, their brain doesn't work that way. And that's fine. But then they need to. You probably need both, don't you? You probably need the creative side and this you, analytical yeah, side. Yeah, but, you, but but the person at the top of that needs to appre- know, know the value of of the, the numbers yes. um, to make sure they've got someone who's doing the numbers and they've got someone who's doing the creative and you and you marry the two. Um, because what, what you'll find is you're testing, uh, particularly, say, with TV, you're constantly testing uh, different types yeah. of uh, different material, um, a different bit of, 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 of media. Uh, and and then you a b test that one against the other um and so you've got to have the person who's who's thinking oh hey you know we'll create this and then someone who's trying it out and working out if that if that actually worked uh, you know just on marketing are you a trend are you a trend setter are you an innovator in marketing or are you do you follow what already works already type thing which way do you go well, I have no idea. I mean, I, I just, I just, at the time, I was just in the trenches just trying to work out how on earth do we make this business work. Other um, people have got TV uh, working. And, uh, and so, um, and so it was a fairly logical process, right? Let's work out how many possible channels are there. The only T that we didn't touch TV at the beginning because the, um, the, the entry price was too high. You know, it was sort of really about a hundred thousand, but 80 to a hundred thousand pounds. And we couldn't, there was never a point before that that we could have risked what, 80 to 100,000 What was your marketing pounds. then before that? How were so you we did. So when we first started, um, we did a lot of uh, what would now be called affiliate deals. So we um, we spoke to, um, for example, Yahoo and said, we'd like to create a version of Moonpig within Yahoo. And, and, and what I did manage to do in all those agreements, and it was very a very manual process. This is very early on. This is yeah. this is Still two, is now, this though, is two, to be honest, with the affiliate deals. Well, no, 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 but I mean, bear in mind, before people like Commission Junction and, and this automated process where you just tick, I'd like to do a deal with that, it, it was a question of me calling uh, the post office, the, the Sun, the Yahoo. We did a whole, I mean, we had, we had dozens and dozens of these deals where I would call the marketing person and say, by the way, I've got an idea. You know, we could put a, a, white, a, a co-branded version of Moonpig into your website and we'll share the revenue. And then all those results would go into a spreadsheet, believe it or not. And then we'd write, you know, effectively send them some money at the end of the month. It was a really manual, painful process. <clears throat> but what I did have in all of that is if ever, if ever this deal is terminated for whatever reason, if you terminate this deal, we, we hoover up the customers and put them into the main Moonpig site. So <clears throat> that was so, always in your terms. That was always in the terms. So, so every time we had a co-branded deal where they, they did it for a year they say ah, it's not really making enough money that would be another five thousand customers hoovered up into the main moonpig site so so that worked quite well uh, pr we did a little bit a little bit of pr we struggled uh, with pr to some extent because greeting cards is not not an area that right that newspapers like to cover that much fashion is fantastic because you've got lots of very um you've got lots of lovely pictures yeah. of people in clothes Lovely people in lovely clothes. Marvellous. People love look, yeah. looking at that. So food. They love food photography. Fantastic. We like talking about food. Um, greeting cards. We've got a new range of greeting cards. Nobody wants to write about that. They wrote about it as a business. They would say, here's an, an innovative startup. But they, but we str- the, what I realised also with PR is that if you spend, say, £30,000 on PR, you'll get a certain amount of press. But if you spend £300,000, you don't get 10 times as much. It doesn't scale. No. And not at all. Um, we did a bit of paid for search after a few years when paid for search became a thing. The difficulty with that was is, that? So uh, that was kind of 2003, four, five. Um, and paid for search is brilliant uh, because you are already paying for what you get. Um, but in our case, we were uh, the term we were going for was personalised greeting cards. Um, and not many people knew that personalised greeting cards existed because they'd never heard of us. 
So, uh, so there weren't many people looking yeah. for that, ter- looking for those terms or, or similar terms. So we we tried all sorts of different things on PayPal Search, but that got us about three thousand customers a month, which was good, and it was cost effective. Um, but it's uh, but we, could, we again we couldn't throw money at it. We peaked, we maxed at about three thousand customers a month, and and then we did television, and that was the thing that really took it above. So how much have you used Commission Junction then for affiliates? Yeah, we use Commission Junction. So Commission Junction basically automated the process that we've previously been doing by a spreadsheet. And, and that was a massive relief. Uh, and then, you know, it's Commission Junction. Were you and, and, involved in the spreadsheets or were it? Yeah, I did the spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I love a spreadsheet. Uh, Excel is a can, wonderful You can stay tool. up all night doing spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, if I wasn't doing a spreadsheet, I'd be doing a Sudoku puzzle. So, I mean, it, you know, it's yeah. it's, a, it, it's a wonderful, t- it's a, one of the most biz- important business tools, the ability to be able to do Right, spreadsheet. Good spreadsheet. Um, I, I wish it was taught properly in schools, um, yeah. but it's not. Uh, you, you learn by doing it. It's like riding a bike, though, isn't it? I mean, the more and more you do spreadsheets and automate yeah. and link it. And but, but a lot of people have a they have a, a, a blind spot. Just, no, I, I, I don't do spreadsheets. I don't do spreadsheets. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but, but, but it's not that difficult. It's very logical, um, and it's an incredibly useful tool. And, yeah, you learn by doing it. Um, um, so, so the commission junction thing uh, that that sort of speeded that process up, and suddenly there were more people, there were more media owners saying signing up for that, making themselves yeah. available. So you could do, you could just tick, 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 tick a deal, which otherwise might have taken you two weeks of negotiation. Yeah. Yeah, so that made life much easier. Let, let's talk about raising funds as well, because yeah. you know, before we just got into this, you you, you shared a few opinions on that. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Um, just just share them again. Well, I, I was asked some time ago, I was asked uh, to join a, a government um, committee panel uh, about uh, Scale Up uh, scale up Britain, I think it was called. And it was, it, was, it was trying to address the question, why is it that uh, lots of businesses uh, don't come forward to raise money? Yeah. Uh, is it because they, you know, and the assumption was, is because they don't know about it. They don't know that it's possible to raise money. And, I, and, and, and my view was no. I think what you need to understand is that there are two ways of raising money. You either borrow money. Yeah. If you borrow money... And things turn bad. They go bad really quickly because you, you've got a you've got a creditor that wants to be repaid, and you're massively increasing the risk of of driving your business into the ground. All businesses have ups and downs. Yep. Uh, but if they're well managed and you've got enough reserves, um, you can weather your way through the ups and downs. Yep. If you've borrowed half a million quid and you have a bad year and and they want to call that loan in suddenly it escalates really quickly. So if you've got a family business and you're making a nice income uh, and it pays for all the skiing holidays and whatever, yeah. right, you know, you've got a nice life, <coughs> why would you want to make your life more difficult by by it just by increasing the, the, the risk of, by exposing your, your, your business to more danger? Why? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a legitimate life. It's a legitimate decision to say, actually, I'm very happy with what I've got. It, it produces a decent income. And I've got a nice life and I don't have to, I'm not too stressed. Similarly, if you want to raise money through equity, that automatically means that you're going to have to sell that business at some point. Because people who invest and buy equity, they do it because they want to sell those shares at some point. They don't do it, yeah. for, they don't do it for, the, for the dividend stream. Very, very, very few investors invest in a business uh, because of the dividend stream. So they'll be investing under, I mean, usually sort of under EIS or one of the yeah. schemes that exist. And, and that is all geared up around capital gains, so selling the shares. Yeah. So that means if you've got a family business and you're thinking, it'll be lovely to hand this down to my children at some point, that's not an option. You can't raise external money from, from equity. Because, that's, you, because uh, you don't want to sell it. Because you don't want to sell it at any point. You want to, you think, I've got a lovely business. I employ a really nice team of people. I love doing this. I want to carry on doing this ad infinitum. I do not want to have an exit uh, horizon. Um, that's also a legitimate decision. So there are two very good reasons why you wouldn't necessarily, but you might decide... Very happy with what I've got. 
don't want to raise any more money to grow faster. Yeah, well, we asked Alan Sugar that question, you know, and, and probably wrongfully we assumed that most, that all business owners want to sell the business in the end. And Alan Sugar was like, no, they don't. No. Some, some businesses, no. they do. it's their baby, it's their thing, it's their legacy, it's their family, it's their heritage. Yeah, it's, it, and, 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 and even if you're not going to leave it to your children, if, if, you've got, if you've created a great business and you've got a great bunch of people working yeah. for you, it's not always a given. You know, setting up a business is not a given it's going to work. So if you sell that, you've then got to recreate yourself and you've got to start another business and that might not work. So, so why, why upset the apple cart? What do you think of this, though? I mean, once you've built a business to a million, even if you lose it, you've got the million pound blueprint. This goes T. Harbecker, the million yeah. secrets in the million dollar mine yeah. book was. But you've already got the blueprint. You know how to get business to a million. So the next time you'll do it, you'll go faster. Happened to Donald Trump. He built a business to a billion, didn't he? Well, no, he didn't. His dad gave him five hundred million dollars, and he managed to invest that very badly. Basically, that's what happened to Donald Trump. And then he lost yeah. it. But he built uh, another one. Yeah, but if you look, if, you, if, if, if if Donald Trump took the money yeah. that he got from his dad and invested it with a decent investment firm, he'd have more money than I've he has I've got to now. be careful of not like complimenting Don, uh, Donald Trump right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. well, you said he won't get any of those from me. <laughs> uh, but but so so you know, it was, or he, me. I mean, you know, Donald Donald you know, he started with nothing, nothing but the shirt on his back and five hundred million dollars. So so that that's that's a bit of an <laughs> exception. There. Here's yeah. a shirt uh, and yeah, five hundred million. million. So uh, so, but if you, if you look at you definitely want to de-risk as a as a business yeah. owner. You want to de-risk. You don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. But the but the other way of doing that is that you take the profit out of the company and you invest that, and you keep taking mm. money out of the company, and invest it, and you and you you want to get to a point where you have more money outside the company than you have in the company. Then you can kind of relax, even if the company goes under. You've ultimately you you've got your your investment. But but the reason the reason that a lot of people don't think like this is because to some extent our tax system is very much in, uh, incentivizes us to sell. Because if you sell at the moment, if you yeah. sell a business, you get entrepreneur's relief yep. and then you pay 20% on a capital gain. If you run a business for profit, you pay ultimately about 50% um, tax yeah. all the way through. So there is an enormous incentive for people to want to sell. And I think we are um Society also has this thing about uh, ultimately it's all uh, creating a business is all about wanting to sell it. Yeah. Actually, I disagree. I think it's a, a lot of it is about the journey uh, of creating and building and running a company throughout. And that is an enormous amount of fun. And if you sell it and you haven't got the imagination to create another one, what you've actually got is quite an empty life. Um, so, so, so you've got to think hard journey, about whether, yeah. whether you're going to – if you've created something wonderful and you've got a really lovely bunch of people, uh, you enjoy working with them. You know, it, to some extent, it's a financial disadvantage to carry on running it for running it for profit. But, um, uh, but but actually, you know, it's, it, it's about what you want to do with your life. How, how do you come about choosing <clears throat> a business to invest in? Um, I, I think the first thing I look at is the is the entrepreneur. Um, right. most, that's, that's, that's the pr probably right. number one you look at the entrepreneur 75 percent, 75 percent of it is about the person i'm choosing to invest in wow um at least keep going give us uh, a, give us the blueprint for how well, you well the the first point is do, will i enjoy working with this person because why, why would i bother investing in someone i don't enjoy working with that's that's um so i don't care how how clever they are if they're a bit of a dick i'm just yeah. not gonna do it full stop no dickheads no uh, um, because you do, you know, it's an enjoy it's it's enjoyable working with people who are happy to listen, have the humility to listen, uh, but also have the the intelligence to be able to, to listen and say, actually, no, I'm not going to do everything you say because I disagree with it. You know, so there's there's a there's a two way process. Do you, do you um, like that when they come back and yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, challenge. I don't, I don't want the, the the irony is the more I can help a business, the less likely it is to succeed. 
But, wow. but follow this through. Yeah, yeah. I want to invest in people who ultimately are bright. You know, they're going to take they can take everything I say and run with it. Um, and um, and th- th- and they're capable of growing it by themselves. I, I want these. I want to invest in people who are brighter than me, uh, brighter, cleverer, and more. Oh, you know, more ambitious, more, more ambitious, willing, whatever. Then, you know, know. I, I don't want to invest in people who constantly need my help to run their business. So, um, so so the person is very very important. A, a good person can change a business idea if it needs to be changed. They can pivot that. Yeah. Um, but a bad person with a good business idea will probably just mess it up. Seventy-five percent is the under. Anything else that you're looking for in the character or the the, the person? Then anything else besides that? Well, I mean, this is a very human thing yeah. of of Connection. wanting to invest in people in people whose company you you enjoy working with them because yeah. otherwise it's unpleasant. Um, so, um, as, so that's. But the other thing also is I I can do, I prefer to invest in people who have a I can where I can see a strong commercial instinct. Um, they they can get to the they can very quickly get to the nub of what the issue is um, in a in a company. Some people have it and some people don't. Well, strong commercial instinct is one thing. Communicating that candidly, yeah, and succinctly is a different thing as well. You know, so 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 I want someone who more or less talks the same language as I do about. You look at a business, look look at a business, and say right, how do you see this? How how are you going to get hold of customers? Uh, and part of that is when I see their business plan, I will see the way I, I can see their thought process in their business plan and in particular in the financial projections. So if I look at the financial, if they should send me a spreadsheet, of their financial projections, and I can see that there is a logical connection, for example, between the money they're spending on marketing. So we're going to, we, we think we'll, we, if I, I can see their thought process, if their thought process is we looking at other businesses, we reckon our cost, cost, cost of customer acquisition is X. If we spend this much money, our assumption is we'll have a cost of customer acquisition of, say, you know, £20. If we spend this much money, we'll get this many customers. Our assumption is that we'll lose this many customers over time. It will churn this. And there's a logical thought process yeah. through that. Through that, that, that then, uh, then I think, OK, right, we're on the same page here. What I don't want to see is someone who is merely just stuck in, in year one, we will spend this much. In year two, we'll spend that much. And there's no connection between their marketing spend and their growth. Uh, or even worse, and I've seen this, is where is where there's an even amount of money uh, spent on marketing, and the sales just sort of go up um, uh, with no, yeah, you know, there's there's, there's yeah, I, I want excessive to, levels <clears throat> of optimism, but but all, but also no logical thought process as to how how are you going to grow a business, how are you actually going to do it, and, and that's that's something that that's a, a big red flag for me. So in a, in a B two B business. If if you know B two C is nice and easy, you say we'll spend this much money, we'll get a customer, yeah. we'll we'll use these channels and so on. If it's a B two B business, I'll say okay. Well, tell, tell, I want to see I want to see how you thought about the market. Uh, have you identified? If you think first of all, have you identified how big the market is? And if if so, can you identify the top twenty companies that you would like to be selling to? And how much do you think you could sell to them? Um, uh, because it's too many people in business plans put forward growth projections that are not connected they're not rooted in in any thought process about where that who are these customers and how much are they going to be spending with you you know is it 10 customers spending 100,000 pounds a year or is it 100 customers spending 10,000 a year um, or, yeah. or, you know that so um and and so through by looking at the business by looking at the business plan and and the financial modeling uh, that tells me a lot about the thought process of the person who's coming forward, um, and and what I what I really don't like is when is when they give me a beautiful spreadsheet and and I look at it and say ask them a question go oh no well a friend of mine did that for me <laughs> not really helpful because actually what I want to understand I want to understand how you think yes you're the one who's going to be running the business I don't care if your mate who's a consultant has done this you know wonderful all singing all dancing spreadsheet it means nothing to me if you don't understand this. 
Yeah, you must have said it four or five times in that. Like when you look at the spreadsheet, you're looking into someone else's mind. Yeah. You're seeing how they think and you want to see the connection between marketing and finance. Yeah. And it's it's got to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And as it's making sense to you, is your emotion creeping up? I like this. Yeah, I can see the logic. I can see the logical chain and think, okay, like they've, they've thought this through. Yeah, they're bright. They get this. They're commercial. I like uh, them. Yeah, and then th- th- then of course you then look at the product. And go right. Okay, so have we got any evidence that people have? So the first thing I would look, would look at is, is, have you got it? Are you actually trading yet? Um, and if it, the business is trading, so what what evidence have you got that customers actually like this product? Um, and more importantly, have you got any customers that come back? How many of those customers came back and bought again? Um, so. That's when I start looking for the, looking for evidence. Um, a lot of it is about evidence gathering, and if it's a complete startup and it's it's um, you know, an idea on the back of an envelope, there's less evidence to, to gather. The further the business has gone down the line, you start looking for those little bits of little bits of evidence. Um, yeah, look, really interesting on the investment philosophy. So, looking into the mind first, being convinced on that, then checking out the product afterwards. Anything else in that philosophy of how you choose to invest? Uh, well, I mean, I have a lot of philosophers around investing. One is I never want to be more than 20% of the money. Um, um, right. And Why is that? Well, because I've learned over time that if you're the first person in and you get involved in, 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 in the business and you're the only, the only person who can write a reasonable check, when they do the next round, if, if you don't want to follow on, you kill it. Uh, because, right, because the yeah. next investor will say, well, is Nick, is Nick following on? Yeah. Now, I, I might have lost interest for a number of reasons, not, not connected with the business, or I just yeah, haven't got any spare cash. There's all sorts of reasons why I might not want to follow on. But if I'm the only investor that can follow on, if I don't follow on, then I am then responsible for killing the business. Then I feel morally obliged to follow on at a higher... at Because wow. som- sometimes I like to get in early at a, at, a, at a low valuation and not follow on because they've, you know, they're now able to raise money at a much higher valuation. Well, I've got my cheap equity. Thank you very much. Um, so what I found is that is that when, is that I don't I no longer want to be the person the only funder of a, of a business. I want to be in twenty percent of the money because then if there are five investors coming in putting in twenty percent of the money, and we all say none of us want to follow on with this because it's a bit of a dog, then at least morally I don't feel that responsibility that you know that's nice. that's just a collective Good decision directly. because there is a there is a. You know, there's an emotional side to it, as well as a financial side. And if you, and a lot of people who invest in businesses it do so because they like to, they like supporting startups. It's it's fun. You know, it's great. You know, people do it because they've made money being an entrepreneur themselves, and then they're recycling it. And it's great to see people going through yeah. that same journey. So, so what you don't want is to invest in business and then have the emotional distress of having you know effectively put put it down because of your decision, effectively your decision not to follow on means that they can't they just can't raise money from anyone yeah. else um so um so yeah. that's 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 one consideration give us yeah. another if if there's more things in your philosophy uh, let's just get them out now. yeah no one of the other things is is uh don't invest in friends and family um unless you're just prepared to just write it off right um but again one of the downsides is that if you're the friends and family investor and you don't follow on is that through experience or is that yeah through? yeah there's yeah. an element of experience there an element of painful experience yeah there. because the problem is that your decision about following on and putting more money into it becomes emotional rather than yeah. financial. And sometimes you can end up thinking, I, don't really, I really wouldn't want to, but I don't want to let them down. And then, no, no, no. And, 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 and the thing is, if the business ultimately fails, it will be because you decided not to put more money into it. it, yeah. it won't, they will never recognize the fact that it just wasn't a very good idea or that they messed it up. So, so you can actually end up, you know, 
you end up starting trying starting out trying to help somebody, but in the end, you end up being blamed for its demise yeah. because they won't recognise yeah. that it just wasn't a good idea. And it's emotional turbulence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it makes Christmas very difficult if it's friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Any, anything else was we? Um, no, I, those 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 are the those are my my. I've I also realised actually that I um, you've got to understand why you're investing, um, and if you're investing because if you're investing, it's a punt. It's a punt. It's a small amount of money you can afford to lose. And you think, I want to support that person. Or, oh, that's a fun business to invest in. I didn't know anything about it, but it's a fun But That's a punt. And accept that that is a punt. It's a bit like going to the races. It's more fun if you put some money on the horses. Um, but it's not very scientific. If you want to make money out of investing, you have to invest in businesses that you understand. Because every time you look at another business plan, I, I, I try and do this with low, with low carbon technology now. And it's an area that I've got to understand and so when i look at a business plan i can immediately see the flaws in it i can add something to it or if if i decide not to invest i've then learned something new which actually can help with one of my other businesses so it it, it all it feeds on itself um and what i found if i invest in a business the businesses some of the most attractive businesses are the businesses that i don't understand because i've got no idea why they're going to go wrong um uh, so uh, it's 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 you've got to understand why why you're doing this are you doing this to make money or are you doing it because it's almost altruism um and both are legitimate reasons altruism or fun you know some people might invest in in a winery because they think that'd be lovely well yeah that's fine that's legitimate but be clear about why you're investing um beautiful so how do you choose when to sell your stake then in the ones that you've invested in but very often i wish it was a choice right but usually it uh, usually it's less it's, than 20 percent uh, it, it's often it's not a it's it's, well, it's very rarely your choice but also the other thing is that the timing is the timing is usually determining when there's a ripe time you know it's like fruit that there's a point when they go ripe there's a point when they go rotten and they fall off the tree and there's a point when they're not ripe how and, do you spot the timing then um wisdom yeah, there's a point when, when lots of people, when people, are, when people are trying to buy your business. There's one, one important distinction: nobody, no, nobody sells a bit. Business, good businesses get bought because someone knocks on the door and says, "Please, can I buy your business?" That's the point at which you say, "Enough people are knocking on my door now. Now, I want, now what I want to do is start a process." So you don't want to say yes to the first person who knocks on your door. What you want is a, is a few to compare it with. So you say, "Fine, okay. So let's have a chat about this." Meantime, you start a process and think. Uh, you've got to also work out have i got enough um uh, have i have i gone far enough for me to be able to take out the money i want to take out but have i also left enough growth for, for the next next person because someone will only buy your business if they think they can double it triple it quadruple it yeah. right so so you could say well i'm selling early then well yes but otherwise you won't sell so uh so there's always has to be you've always got to say well, what's in it for the next person who yeah and it, it might only be a percentage you might not sell the whole thing yeah, though I think if you sell a if you sell a bit very very rarely though do you actually sell a stake in in your business to somebody else? It doesn't happen that often. Right. Um, people will invest in your business, but that's not money coming to you. But when it comes to selling your secondary shares, very rarely would someone sell thirty. I've sold thirty percent of my business to, to to somebody else. It becomes a bit tricky because then you're still running it, but mm, yeah, it's just it's just it doesn't happen that often. It's either generally speaking, it's sell a hundred percent, or oh, well, what what happens? Someone will take a majority. They might want you to keep twenty five percent in just so that you see it through, but that's the only reason that why you'll keep anything is because they they want to make sure that you're going to see it through to the end, or that or it might be some sort of an earnout. Um, um, but by and large, when someone buys your business to put money in your pocket, that's because they want control yeah. over it. I, I might be backtracking here, but you've just put a thought in my head, actually, and it's around that philosophy of 
when you're choosing to invest. Hmm. As you're going through your due diligence and looking into the mind on the spreadsheets of the of the person, have you made any mistakes in your due diligence that you've that you've wish you hadn't have done? Loads. What, what, <laughs> well, where I, mean, I, I think, I think a lot from? of it, a lot of it is not thinking through. Um, um, and I've, I've invested in businesses that have where my my thesis has been one thing, right? I think this will be a good business because, um, I mean, I, I invested in in a business that does, um, uh, but now it does in in home displays for smart meters. But previously, it was it first started out just doing energy meters in houses, right. um, and I thought oh, this this will be a really good thing because I I thought we were reaching peak oil um, and that the price of energy would go up a lot and people would be more concerned about how much they were spending on energy and therefore people would buy these devices to go in their home. I was completely wrong. What actually happened is that business uh, worked because the government forced the energy companies to buy in-home displays to give to their customers for free. But what I'd underestimated is that most people, even though energy prices have gone up a lot, most people don't measure energy. They just think, turn the lights on, turn the lights off. They might... Uh, they might economise it. They're, they're just not that interested in measuring it, or not enough of them are anyway, to, so, to buy a device and install it themselves. But, so, so, so the company worked, but not for the reason, not for the reason that I invested in it. Your your assumption was was wrong, really. You were well. I, my assumption about peak oil was wrong. So peak oil, the, this idea that we are, yeah. we've, we, there comes a there's a tipping point where we, we've extracted uh, the most oil we're ever going to extract out of the ground. What actually happened is we just found new oil fields um, and. Of course, the, the energy price did, with the Ukrainian war, the energy yeah. price did eventually sort of really shoot up. Yeah. And still, what's surprising is that the general public, like of, they weren't clamoring to shop saying, please, I, you know, I really, really, really need an energy. Definitely reason. not in our household. My wife yeah, is all yeah. over that. She's the numbers yeah. analytic thing. <laughs> okay, any lights uh, so, going yeah, on? Yeah, so, so there, have, there have been times, and I have, you know, have to be, you've got to be disciplined about it. If you're working, am I any good at investing? Um, it, just because something works, you say, did it work for the reason that I thought it was going to work? Because if if my thesis was right and it worked, yeah. brilliant. Um, it, uh, then you know it could also be I thought it was good team, good yeah. team, good idea, and it will work because of this. Um, it's nice. It's sort of nice. It's nice to get a fluke sometimes, though. Oh yeah, no, I'm not complaining <laughs> about the flukes, but it, but 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 you know, it's easy when something is a success to say it was successful because yeah. of me. Um, much the same in, in I think in any in any company. You know, when I look at Moonpig, people say, "Why was you know why was Moonpig successful?" It would be very very easy to say, "Oh, because I did this, that, and the other," um, and and to understate the importance of luck in all of that. So the first thing is, um, at the time that I decided I want to set up a, wanted to set up a business, it was the time when the internet was just sort of coming to yeah. fruition. So so my timing was impeccable, entirely accidental. Um, and had I wanted to set up a business five years earlier, those opportunities wouldn't have been there. I might have, might have thought of a different type of business, but but I, I, I it just so happened that the time that I decided to set up a business coincided with the invention of the internet, and therefore it was an open playing field for lots of new ideas. And and secondly, there were various things, various little bits of luck um, involved in that. Um, one of them was that I had a tiny competitor um, who. Um, uh, it's called Remind for You. It wasn't, it wasn't a very good, uh, very good website, um, but um, but they 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 advertised on television, and I I hadn't actually thought about advertising on television, and I, and then I saw that they spent fifty thousand pounds advertising. A little bit of rivalry push you. Well, up. but what I what I have been doing is I've been measuring whenever we had a competitor, I would I would order a card from them and see whether or not their order number was sequential. 
Um, and if it was, then I'd, I'd write that down, right? 1st of March, 1917. Yeah, yeah. That was the order number. Buy one next month. Oh, then they've sold that many. They've sold that many cards. So, so we did that with this company. Laying your secrets out now. And, and, and um, I, yeah, I can now. Cat's out of the bag. Um, and uh, so, so I saw that they'd spent 50,000 quid on advertising and they had their order numbers had increased by 5,000. But they, you could do that with businesses and invoice numbers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's lots of them. I mean, yeah. It's very basic industrial espionage. Um, so, but that told me, wow, okay. You know, if it was £10 a customer, that kind of pointed me in the right direction. Now, what was interesting was that um, that business actually went into administration six months later. So if I hadn't if I if I hadn't been measuring what they were doing, then I would have thought, well, they advertised on television and then they went bust. So I'm definitely not doing that. But but actually, my interpretation was they they got the cost of customer acquisition right, but they went bust because their cards were awful. Um, and they actually got bought out of administration by W. H. Smith and they changed the business. And that wasn't it. a thesis. That the, was reality. Yeah. 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 That's reality. Yeah. 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 So 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 I was watching one of and I thought, right, okay, let, then let's try this because that's given me enough confidence that I could probably get ten pounds a customer for that. So that's why we. That's why we did. So now I was I was very lucky that just at the right time when we'd actually made our first profit of eighty thousand quid. Suddenly, this information came up saying, "Actually, you could try TV, and that might work." Um, and that kind of pointed us in the right direction. You know, so Time there was again. there was an element of luck, and there was an element. There was the, the skill bit was understanding your competition and understanding finding some way of measuring what they were doing, um, because otherwise, I could have in, I could have taken that information and interpreted it the wrong way. I they advertised on telly, then they went bust. So, so but but if they had not advertised at all, I don't know whether that idea would have occurred to me. And that was what really transformed the business. So, but behind every, and, and also there's a question of catching a wave, you know, with every, um, sometimes you just, you just catch a wave um, and, 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 you, and you ride it. And that's the case with a lot of spectacularly successful businesses. They just right place, right time, caught a wave. There's an element of luck there that you cannot repeat. So when, when, when retrospectively you, you say, well, how do I repeat that? And I'm often asked this. I give talk talks at you know universities and so on, business schools. Um, how how do I repeat that? Go, well, you got to be got to well, be a bit lucky. Well, you've got to take your opportunities as well because yeah, you know we come back earlier on what we were talking about. It's like make this decision. Yeah, you've got to decide how to. I, I, another thing I, I hear a lot is people say, "Well, I've got this really really good idea, but I don't want to tell anyone in case it, it, it gets copied." And I, my advice to them is, look. <laughs> the moment you go commercial the moment you're out there trying to sell it everyone can see what you're doing so they can they can copy it and the chances are ip is ip is very difficult to to protect it's very difficult to come up with an idea that yeah. can't be can't be replicated in one way or another that wriggles uh -huh. past whatever whatever pattern um so the only thing you can do to protect yourself is get out there make as much noise as possible and be first um and and then and then everybody else is seen as following you um and and so don't try to the the best way to protect an idea is never to do it at all. But of course, it'll never be a business. Um, uh, so so I, so my you know my advice to that is is you know forget the protecting the if you can protect the IP uh, and it's really protectable, perhaps do it. But it's not about the money you spend on on getting the getting the patent. It's about how much money you're prepared to spend defending it when someone copies it, and and that's usually the problem. But the best right. defence of all, go big early. Yeah. Get out there, make a lot of noise. Yeah, and be and the, the first. And then everybody, when when anybody else copies you, 
or then they'll the think, following. oh, they're just copying Moonpig. Um, and that's what happened, I think, with Moonpig. Moonpig were yeah. really probably, probably might, have, might not have been absolutely the first. I think there was someone trying to do something that never really got off the ground. Um, when, I, when I was looking around, I did find a little tiny company in Cambridge that I've forgotten what they were called even, but they never really got off the ground. So Moonpig for the years was the, was the first. And then everybody else who came in after that uh, was just seen as a Me Too. Get out there and go for it. Yeah. I brought the right hat. It says go for it on that hat today. Yeah. Quoting you. Uh, I've got some quick questions for you. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite book that you've ever read for business, Squirrel? <laughs> uh, favourite one? I, 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 I don't read a lot of business books. Right. I've got to be honest. Um, I mean, I... I and this is probably heretical um, to, uh, to say this, but I went off and did my MBA. And what I realized, what I learned from my MBA is that uh, is that business is actually common sense dressed up in jargon. Every aspect, every facet of business, whether it's marketing, strategy, whatever, comes with a whole lot of jargon and theories and yeah. models and, and what have you. And yeah, it's probably it, it probably all means something. My my general motto is never make anything more complicated than it needs to be. Um, I avoid using business jargon at, at all costs, and 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 I generally find that when people when people start quoting Porter's five forces back at me, it's a sign of it's frankly it's a sign of insecurity. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of the five for me communication is, is not what about what I say; it's about what you hear and understand. And the simpler I make that, the better. So 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 my so my philosophy has always been. Um, it's 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 a lot of it's basic common sense um, and in plain simple English um, keep it as simple as possible and, and and only get more complicated when you absolutely have to um, so for, for that for that reason I mean maybe, maybe my maybe my year on my MBA put me off <laughs> business books um, but um, uh, so I, but you know I, I can't say look around at other businesses and I take I take my cue from other businesses and I, I'm interested in reading their stories but but um, but I've got to be honest I, I don't simplicity avoiding jargon just keep it simple making decisions on spreadsheets yeah <laughs> yeah yeah got it uh, what's your favorite movie <sighs> hope you can edit this pause out as i think <laughs> all the various really really good movies i mean you know, the the the, uh, the fantastic movies like gladiator was a fantastic movie um uh that i would happily watch uh, again and again um and uh, but I'm always a great sucker for, for comedies. Um, I, when I watch what, a film, I don't want to be scared. What's the comedy? What's your favourite comedy or sitcom? Oh, um, um, there's just there there, there are so many. Shit's Creek was a fantastic series. That right. was just a wonderful, wonderful series. It, it was a very, very. I, I watch telly to relax. I don't watch telly to, to, telly to, to get tense yeah. and nervous. I thought and, you were going to go on the fools and horses or falling towers. No, thing. no. I find I find actually the only fools and horses. Yeah, kind of quite amusing. But I think actually comedy has got much better and much more sophisticated um, in in uh, in recent years. So uh, what was what it called? Shit Creek. Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. It's just a wonderful, wonderful box set to, Beautiful. to, to watch. Yeah. Shit's Creek. That, that, that is this S-C-H-I-T-T-S. That's why the, that's why they can, that's yeah. why you can say it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. And what's your favorite holiday destination? Skiing. Anywhere. Yeah, that's where, what you said earlier good. Yeah. Do you go every year? Every year, several times. Every year, several times. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. You're almost Fanatic professional. Love skiing. Yeah. <laughs> love skiing. Yeah, three times a year. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Um, 
Probably wouldn't be mind reading. That would be that. that, that well, no, you only need a spreadsheet for that. <laughs> you can already uh, mind um, read. <laughs> no, actually, you know what? Memory. Remember, Mem- memory, memory would be the best superpower I could ever have. I, it frustrates You'd me. You'd have to read books then. Um, it, well, it, it frustrates <laughs> me that I read I read a book sometimes. And then and then I, I, I see. I remember I remember watching a watching a, 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 a video of uh, it was a, a, a Dostoevsky a film uh, based on Dostoevsky. Um, the book by Dostoevsky, uh, Idiot, which I'd actually read and studied at university. It was only when I was about, I was about an hour into this movie, thinking, "Sounds familiar." Yeah, yeah. sounds familiar. Not only had I read the book, I'd actually written a dissertation <laughs> on it, um, um, and uh, uh, so, so I would love to have a better memory. Right. Um, and I find it frustrating. You know, I find even when it comes to, I've got to, I've got to look at a number one place and then write it somewhere else. I have to do in chunks of four digits at yeah, a time. Well, you know. Look, you, you, your short-term memory is on your logical side of your brain. You're extremely logical yeah. and spreadsheets, mm. and the long-term memory is on the creative side of your brain. Yeah, yeah. You know, the emotional side. There you go. Yeah. So are you an early bird or night owl? I'm actually both. Uh, I, I get to bed about midnight, wake up at six. Right. Six hours? Yeah. And if you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? Living or dead? Uh, past or present? Either or. Caesar Augustus. I mean, mostly because I'm just fascinated by Roman life, and I'd absolutely love to see what Roman life was yeah, like from, from the. And, and I'd rather see and that from the position. Of, you like gladiator. I'd rather see Roman life from the position of, a, of, of, of an emperor than, than a slave. So, uh, so that would be a fascinating insight. So you, you'd be, be the emperor of Rome. Yeah, yeah, for a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which day? No, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't All matter. right, any day. A any sunny day. day. A sunny day in Rome. So who've been your three biggest trusted advisors in your life? Um, when I started the business, I didn't. Uh, I brought in a number of investors who became investor directors right. in, in the company. I always make a difference between non-exec directors and investor directors. An investor director is really only a director of the company to protect their own investment. But what I found is that, um, is that every single one of those investors or said one thing that saved us from ruin. Um, so one person told us to put the price up, um, um, and then Duncan told us to 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 widen the range of cards that we did, and uh, and then and then there's uh, uh, another director, Tom Chandos, who 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 uh, guided us through some of the fundraising. So every single one of them did something which saved the business. Um, and uh, and I collect that for every single director that we had, we have four non-exec directors. Um, and, and they were a useful sounding board. And I think this is a question that often comes up when people are setting up. They think, oh, I need to set this up with somebody else because I need that. Uh, I need the sounding board. Uh, actually, I, what I realize is that if you set up a business with someone else, that's 50% of your equity gone on day one, right, if you go 50-50. Um, so by the time you get diluted um, you know, with a bit yeah. of investment, that's, you, know, you can end up with a smaller stake. I needed that independent sounding board uh, away from my own employees right. because, you know, what your employees don't really want to hear at the end of the month is, oh, why are you looking so glum, Nick? Oh, because I can't pay your salary. Um, uh, they don't want to hear that. Um, so, but if, if, but if, if, you, if you've got those kind of cash flow crises, you can discuss those with your, with your board who are independent and, and they're not employees. They're not dependent on that for their income. Um, and that, that, was, that was very useful. So they were probably, business-wise, probably the best mentors I had were the non-execs that I had and the, the, the investors because they were also, they, they stuck with it because they were committed to it. They right. put quite a bit of money into it and they were committed to it. And, um, and you did that pretty early on. It sounds like you did. Yeah, I brought them within the first year. Most of them came on within the first year and um, and stayed with it. Yeah, and look, all of them did one real big thing: price up, yeah. widen the range, yeah. guided you through funding. Yeah, the the critical thing is listening to advice and being able to 
being able to filter it. Um, and I always say when I'm investing in a company, I say, I'm going to give you loads of bits of advice, but I'm not involved in your business day to day. Uh, I don't want you to humor me by telling me, by, by pretending to, that every yeah. idea I come up with is a good idea. If you think it's a bad idea, just tell me. I don't mind. I'm a big boy. I can cope yeah. with that. I just don't want to be humored. Um, if you don't want to spend time in it, just say, I don't want to do that because of this and the other. And, but if you can't come up with an answer as to why you don't want to do it, that's when I'm more interested. But what, you know, I just want you to, to, to listen, consider it, and choose to do something with it or not. Um, but, uh, you know, because sometimes I think in, in people... They, they 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 pander to it and they yeah. say, they'll 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 say oh yes that's a really really good idea no it's not just you know just just say Make a no decision. So that it won't work be. because of this and the other like um so um uh so i think that you know you can get some fantastic a fantastic mentoring relationship from someone who's also put a bit of cash into your in, into your business uh there's no sign of commitment quite like writing a check um you know a lot of companies come up with i've got an advisory board and it's it's marvelous but if they haven't if they haven't got any skin in the game, it doesn't count as much. Well, look, we, we've talked about finance, marketing, investment, all your philosophy. Yeah. If you could recommend the listeners do one thing once they've listened to this, what is it? I think the most important thing, you, you, you've got to understand what you want your business to give you in your life. And, and is it about... Is it about an exit? Is it about making money? Or actually, is it about is it about uh, the journey of building a team of people that you enjoy working with and a product that you're proud of? Um, and that's an important thing. You've got to, if if you understand that, that guides you in what you're going to do with your business. Beautiful. Look, this there's loads of points. I've made loads of notes on here. I'm going to go back and watch this and take some more notes actually yeah. as well. So, my favorite thing from today, I, I like that when you said the ability to make a decision without imperfect information. Yeah. That is a challenge for yeah. an entrepreneur. But I loved your investment philosophy and what you said earlier on about the financial literacy. Hmm. Really powerful. So I'm going to go with your investment philosophy as my favourite bit. What's been your favourite part? Well, I've just enjoyed it all. Great chatting to you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Nick, <laughs> Nick Jenkins. Hey there, James here with an exciting announcement. The BizX Awards is coming to the ACC Liverpool from the 18th to the 19th of April with an incredible lineup of speakers. You're going to meet the likes of Stephen Mulhern, Donald Miller, Deborah Meaden, and many, many more. Book your spot right now at thebizx.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed listening to the Business Excellence podcast, make sure to comment your top learnings and favorite moments as well as like and subscribe. See you next time.